Welcome to Soft Bites Podcast. Your life, your dentistry. We talk about ways to have more fun and meaning in one of the coolest and most rewarding professions in medicine. Conversations on how to bring awareness, create a healthy workplace, and provide emotional insights to make dentistry a fulfilling activity while making space for one's wonder, creativity, and freedom. Here are your hosts, Vanuela and George Andre. How will augmented reality and uh, virtual reality cope with uh, the future of teaching in, at universities, for instance? clinical teaching. Can it change it? I mean, we have to wait and see. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, th there's just so many things to, to, to dive into what we just said, which would, which would bring us to like 10 more podcasts. But for, for the last thing that you just dropped, which is um, maybe replacing teachers at universities, what about the role models? I mean, will you find a machine, a role model for you? Because that's all, there's also a big part of being a teacher, right? Even yes, if you but, don't uh, want to, you'll always, you'll always end up being a role model. You will, even if you don't want to, you will always end up being some sort of a role model for someone. And I think that if you remove that from the equation of teaching, uh, I think it will be a very empty, very empty way of learning. That's what I think. Because yes, if you, of, if you think in a 10 years span period, but if you think like 100 mm. years, if you can have machines that are brought about existing past, ex look, you, you can, you can have a teacher, choose a teacher, choose a teacher that is a mixture of Louvain Tunes and Antonio Mata and, and he will be there for you. 24 7 yes. never gets tired many yeah. well i'm being uh, provocative here because no, I, no, don't I, wrong, I, I don't want to give the wrong i don't want to give the wrong idea that i, I defend the the, 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 the machinization no, of man i think that you are absolutely right i think you are because the thing is that we cannot analyze the problem at our current state of knowledge at the, at the current social knowledge and the current social status 50 years, I mean, the, the, the world is different now from 10 years ago. 50 years, it's going to be totally, completely different. So it's very difficult for us with our own limited minds to try to analyze what's, what people are going to like or what's going to be the best for ourselves. And, uh, and that, that, it brings a lot of philosophical questions, yeah. What so, I think uh, as a teacher, yeah. yes, no, no, no. Go, yeah, go, go on, go on, go on. No, because what I think as for, for, for me, the, the, the challenge as a teacher, and uh, I think a lot about that these days, is I must reach my students. Like to be a role, in order to be able to be a role model, and there's nothing more rewarding to a professor than someone comes to you and says, uh, years after being your student, say, look, you were, you were a role model. There's one thing, for instance, I, I have teached teaching uh, operative dentistry for many years that now I don't do it anymore. One thing that I sh used to tell my students was, uh, unlike all of my colleagues was, look, you don't need to have good hands 
uh, intrinsic or to be born with a special natural uh, drive or, or skill uh, to good hand skill to be a good dentist. That's a misconception. That's something they are trying to sell you because I'm the example of it. These things, this is a science, it's not an art. It's another thing that when people say, oh, the art of dentistry, I know what they want to say, but this is a very dangerous statement because it's not artistic at all. I cannot get up 9 a.m. and say, today I feel inspired. I'm going to do a blue central incision incisor on the first patient I meet because this is my inspiration. No, it is not. We are bound by very strict scientific rules to perform our profession. It is a scientific profession. And that being said, it can be taught and it can be learned. Some people will have to work less, some people will have to work more. But if we work hard enough, we will get there. That's what I used to say to my teachers. So you have to know, firstly, which type of student do you, are you? Do you need to spend overnight at the preclinical level shaping your hand skills or are you a natural to it? But at the end of the day, you will be able to do it if you work hard enough. And uh, I used to say this thing like the guy in Pulp Fiction, you know, said that thing and said to the guy, well, are you, you know, the when he recites those passages from... Uh, from, uh, yeah, the from Samuel, say the Bible and say, well, that's something I think it was nice to say to someone who are going to blow away. And then, so the, I think this was something nice to say to my students. <laughs> Many of my students years later came to me and saying, look, I was thinking about giving up and I didn't give up. I didn't give up because you told me those things in class. So I want to thank you because you you really reach me in when you in that statement uh, and uh, this is very rewarding and now what i'm feeling as a teacher nowadays is that i'm losing this ability to reach my students because my students are very different youngsters today i enter a classroom and my they don't have notebooks anymore they have computers i'm competing with google for what I'm teaching and the kind of stuff that I'm teaching, I don't think is the stuff they need to, to learn. Because uh, knowledge, what we call or I call encyclopedic knowledge, which is uh, how was the life of Napoleon Bonaparte? In which year was he born? To whom was he married? Which battles he? This was a, a type of knowledge with mixed with culture uh, and uh, was very important. It is not important, no more, because it is at your fingertips. So this kind, uh, so today what is important is that you learn principles, that you learn how to search for good knowledge, how to transform data, how do you swim among this enormous ocean of data, which can lead you in a very bad or in a very good direction? And that's, I think, what teachers have to learn to do in the next years is that I don't have 
to really much of the knowledge I teach today at my students is obsolete. And the way I do it is obsolete. They don't want to hear a guy speaking before them for two hours. It's too much time. It's too much. It's, uh, it's tedious because much of the things you are saying, they have it on the Google, on the internet. So what you have to find is a new way to reach those students is, look, how can you make sense of all the data you are facing and transform it into clinical knowledge in an ethical way? That is a, the challenge that we think we have in the, in the next years. How can I teach you to be self-sufficient and self-proficient in making sense of all this knowledge that surrounds you and transform it into a clinical skill to help your patients? And, and, and uh, that must be done in a completely different way. And is it ethical? It's, Will it be considered ethical to treat patients in clinical academic settings in a few years? Where we know that uh, students fail. If you have systems that can teach, teach them as proficients with the same kind of efficiency, with augment, if you have very good augmented re and uh, augmented reality and virtual haptics is developing very fastly, and if you have, uh, uh, if you can have with AI again uh, mixed with this kind of tools, artificial patients that really behave as natural patients. I'm not saying now. I'm saying in 100 years. Will it still be ethical to recruit patients for, do you will have the same type of clinical settings for teaching? Will, as we are going to evolve as human beings, will we still be considered ethical to recruit patients for those kinds of clinical settings? So these are important questions, but in the immediate future, I think what we have to find is how to to get to those new, new types of students. Students come to the classroom and they, they have a computer laptop, they have one thing on their ears, they are listening to music, they are, they are reading about other stuff, they are hearing you, they are communicating to each other. Yeah. And uh, this is what you have. I mean, things develop and you cannot say, no, these guys are completely wrong. No, these are the guys that you have. It's yeah. like, Okay. When people say you speak bad Portuguese, you young people. Today we were we were we were discussing this at lunch at university, saying these kids they speak so badly, and I think, and I say they speak as they speak is the new language because Portuguese, as French as English, are vivid language. They change. You don't speak as Afonso Henrique spoke. You, so that's why Latin is a dead language because nobody speaks it and it doesn't change. Leave it, give it languages change and 
you have to cope and you have to go along and to have, and you so you have to open your mind and think how can i reach these students how can i help them to become good doctors and this for me implicates to completely change the way yeah. uh, teaching is done presently yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's so interesting the way that you put it because uh, I think that we all and me and Manuel we, we we talked about this many times when you are teaching the, the model of of um, uh, placing a bunch of people inside the room and speak to them for eight hours uh, it's it's very difficult today it's uh, I even more in universities where the where it's a huge amount of students right it's much more difficult but I. But I completely agree with what you say. You have to cope with what with what's in front of you, and to make the thing interesting for them, you 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 need to be much more challenging. You you need to challenge, challenge. yourself, and yes, you need you 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 need to be in a constant. You need to be always reminding yourselves how can what I am saying be passed in a way that they will find useful. Number one is to talk about useful stuff. That's number one, right? Yes. And then even if you talk about useful stuff, how can they understand that this is actually useful? You have to always give them examples that can relate them to what's going to happen them in the future with patients and stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's very interesting. So a few last, a few last questions. And, and, and thank you for staying with us so long, Antonio. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So, so you have a lot of uh, and we talk a lot about leadership in this uh, in this podcast and how difficult and for example from the, from and i was even talking about this today with a patient which is um even staff like not non-clinical staff like dental nurses or actually or non-differentiated staff that you work with um in private practices like receptionists or or whatever they are more diff they are much different now than they were like five years ago. The way that you treat people now and five years ago, in my point of view, has changed with social media and stuff like that. You have to be much more aware of how you treat people and what you say and the working conditions and everything. So I think that for me as a leader, because I mean, if you have a if you are a practice owner, you are a leader, even if you don't want to. And and here I'm talking, I'm not I'm not talking about the leader on the more romantic way. I'm talking about the practical way of, you have to pay salaries, you have to organize people, you have to say people what they should do, or organize a team. And you have a lot of those roles, which I find it very interesting, which is you are not a pure researcher, you are not a pure clinician, you are not a pure academic. I mean, there's a lot of things that give you pleasure to do, right? Uh, and you have also been involved in the Associação Abraço that was uh, uh, taking care of uh, of uh, patients with HIV, which is a, a, a very a very interesting project, project that you were involved with. So, with all those leading roles that you that that I'm sure that you, that you you've done good things and bad things, and you've learned some a lot of stuff in, along the way. Um, what do you think is your leading uh, uh, style, and does it change whether it's in university or private practice, or or a group of researchers? What have you learned throughout the years about people and leading people? People have to follow you naturally, uh, and 
The first leadership that you assume is inside your clinical room with your patient. If patients sense that you are not in the lead, you lose the patient immediately. And uh, sorry, sorry, so Antonio, is... Antonio, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but but we have to give the praise for ourselves because me and Manuel, we are always talking about that. We are always telling the guys, look, you think you're not a leader? Just place yourself in front of a patient, and you have to leave the situation, right? So sorry All to interrupt, but we had we had to praise. Yeah, we always say that all dentists are leaders in the sense. But sorry, it's, go on. It's it's the it's the ground basis for your relationship with your patient. It's confidence. Of course, you involve him in the decision. Of course, you inform him. Of course, but at the end of the day, in many of the situations inside the clinical room, the decision is yours, and you have to take the lead. And if the patient senses that you are not in the lead, you lose the patient immediately because confidence goes down the drain. As up, so. I became a doctor because I wanted to treat people. I, I um, and, and sometimes I, this is one of the things I try to always say to my students: if you don't like people, you are in the wrong place. So when I have colleagues that are always saying, "Oh, this," the the the, the for the, there are some colleagues that for them the patient is always the problem. Oh, this patient is so difficult because, and these patients are so, and people don't know what they want, and people want this, and then they want that, and people are this, and people are that, and people, and I think you are in the wrong field because people have expectations, and people have, and you go if you cannot connect with your patient, and you you don't like that that uh, challenge of how am I going to connect with these people. Uh, with this person that is before me. And so I think that is the base of... Uh, uh, I, I, I like to set new challenges. And somehow, uh, I know people that work with me can would be better off judging that than me, but uh, what happens is, the, and that has happened, these years and these decades is that the projects that are started that are start um, involve people which at the end of the day and after some time i find that are much better than me in doing it in some of the and uh, so what i try to do in those projects that i i think i want i don't want to be but one thing one one skill that i think i have is to know uh, what profile is needed for that task and when i get a team i get up a team i i can see that uh, well i need a person with this profile and i um, i usually find it and uh, i i think i'm good at it and sorry sorry antonio is that is that like a conscious uh, strategic decision or there's a lot of uh fifth sense in that i don't know how to answer i mean it it happens usually i i look at the person and and the um well when i start to know it i will know well you're good to do this you're good to do that too and and then bring all these different people together in a common goal and things start to happen 
and uh, and uh, so so this is a major ingredient which is needed the other ingredient i think is needed in leadership is you have to have fun along the way so you have people have to it's a human process so you have the work and the work is very serious but you have to connect people have to connect with each other inside the team outside the work you have to have lunches together you have to have parties together you have to dance together you have to know each other and so uh, in uh, every team what i am involved as that aspect and uh, i think it's a very important think, sorry, sorry antonio you just gave us a very good idea for you were thinking about the same manuela right i think you were thinking about the same a good idea for a podcast is activities outside workplace to do with your team or something like that it's very interesting sorry to interrupt you but but but, but go on. I, i'm loving what you're saying yeah and uh, the other ingredient as a leader as this i learned in toronto in an aids congress many years ago i went to aids congress and it was a very different congress i had never seen that is it's it's becoming common nowadays but uh, the, the 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 congress of the international aids society were congress where where you had patients doctors stakeholders everybody together assisting the same session and this was very different um and i went to this conference that was about social responsibility that was something that never talked about in europe or in portugal it was and there was this guy and he said something that struck me which was uh, projects are only mature when they can survive the person that gave birth to that project so if you are a project leader you have constantly to bear in your mind that uh, your goal must be i will leave this project tomorrow and this project will go on and uh, so i'm always uh, this was done in the abraço con context and when i came to lisbon i started to work on my exit from abraço saying no this is a very big project it has grown and it has to do without me and uh, so you you must not be uh, you know you, you cannot become a slave of your own leadership in a specific project if you are a leader you will lead other things and uh, for me uh, it has been a natural process i mean for instance when i went to the the clinic where i am now i got there as a clinician and I start participating in the clinic life. And uh, you go one year off, tell me, you must become clinical director. And I say, no, no, that was not our purpose. Uh, and they say, no, no, it has to be. And so it become. Then I think, I thought, well, we are so big clinic and we produce so much potential knowledge we should because one of the ways we didn't speak about is one of the ways that uh, until we have ai that can do the research for us one of the ways of getting the research out of the academic theaters into more uh, realistic settings is to develop what we call practice-based research networks 
which is to bring the research to the real world out of the academic settings and practice-based or private practices starting to develop uh, their own research processes and producing knowledge and publishing knowledge. And so uh, I spoke, I started this small project inside the clinic and uh, now we have three doctors which are finishing their PhDs and they are, they are working on projects inside. So it's working by itself and they now have their own ideas and they want to do their clinical projects. And so I know in a few years, if I go away, there will be a, a research practice inside the clinic. So I like to start things. I, I think I'm a good sparkle, but uh, my intention as a leader is always to leave enough space for people to be themselves, to do their things. And to uh, it comes to a point, for instance, I, I, presently, I don't do bench work at research, we have a lab cell, a cell lab at university. And I don't do the work at the bench anymore. Uh, so I leave people to decide their own fates. Uh, I'm a strategic advisor, more like that. I say, it's good to go that way. It's not good to go that way. Let's try this. Let's not try this. But, uh, and, and, uh, I hate yes men and yes women. I like people that challenge me, that confront me, that tell me, no, 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 I don't think you're right. So when a yes man goes up, it's because there is somebody who likes to be a, to have a yes man around. And, uh, and that's not, that's not good. That's not, we see a lot of that and that's not good. People have to be involved, work from themselves have their own ideas. And so you construct something that is out of you. My projects are not my projects, they are out of me. I'm one participant as the other. So yeah, so this is the, how I envision leadership. Yeah. One of the things I, I, I've, I've been with you in the, the Portuguese Dental Council uh, Scientific Committee, one of, one of the things that I would say about you is that you provide a lot of space for people. That that's that's the idea that I have. That, that you, you just let things, you just wait and see what what naturally happens within the group. And I think that's a, that's a very good thing um, because that's not very. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of micromanaging, and I think that uh, uh, you you need to actually allow space for people to 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 contribute. Yeah. So so last last question, Antonio. Uh, and and I said you and, and I sent you a, an article a few days ago, uh, and and we talked about that the Cascade Declaration. It, it says lots of things about dentistry, which is not not unique about dentistry. I just took some notes here, um, and these are not new problems. They, the dentistry has been facing these problems for a lot of time. Uh, maybe now uh, we are more aware of that, but. Um, but dentistry is uh, a profession that is rewarded based on treatments, right? And um, and prevention, not only in dentistry, but but preventive medicine in general is a, a is something that does not um, give a, a good financial income, right? And dentistry is ba is, is mainly private practice uh, in, in most in most countries, and 
the the interest the interest of industry of the industry is also huge in dentistry because of, there's a lot of uh, uh, financial interest, and and this group of of professors in this article, I'm, I, we can even uh, place this on the on the YouTube channel on, on the Spotify the link for the for the article. They say that um, dentistry has been failing the population in terms of what they should actually accomplish because in many parts of the world. Um, oral diseases that they have not been uh, been dealt with, and in other parts of the world, uh, dentistry has a lot of over treatment because it's based the it's basic based basically a treatment driven uh, uh, profession, um, which brings us to the point that, uh, and we've talked about this a lot also in the the, the scientific committee, which is. Uh, we have been getting a little bit away, not a little bit, quite a lot away in some senses of um, from medicine. And you started and you said, I think it was probably the first sentence that you said in this podcast, which is that you, you, think, you think that dentistry is a branch of medicine. And uh, I'm sure that this is nothing new to you. I mean, over 30 years, you've been, hitting, you've been hearing this conversation about dentistry over and over again. Do you think this is a catastrophic view um, and things will eventually work out? Do you think that we need to actively do something about this? Because for me, for example, me as a dentist and as a, as a people that deals a lot with young people and tries to, uh, tries to help them in, uh, and this is what me and Manuel, me and Manuel we try to do with, with the people that hear, especially young people, we want them to be happier in the long term. We want dentists to be happy in the long term and fulfilling their profession. And we, we, we think there's only one way of doing that. Uh, and there are, of course, many ways, but we think that the most sustainable way of doing that is to look after the patient's real interest. That's, that's what we believe it's most fulfilling. Because uh, when we, if you don't have a, a career that's based on that, I think that you will eventually... That, that the chances of burning out and, and doing what you said, becoming cynical with every patient trying to, and seeing the, the, the worst part in patients, if you don't have something that you can really grab on and you can, and you can rely on, which is trying to provide the best, the, the, the patient's best interest, we, we believe that uh, if you don't do that, mental health problems in dentistry will, will, are much more likely. And we, we see a lot about that. We, we see a lot... Uh, a lot of, of young dentists that, um, and especially when they start work after five, 10 years, and they, they see that they, something is wrong. And we think that one of the biggest reasons is that they, they realize they are not longer seen as doctors. Uh, the, and that is for many reasons. And one of the reasons is also because dentistry as a whole and social media also has a lot to do with that, has been behaving as a whole much more like hairdressers than actually doctors. Um, and do you think this is a catastrophic point of view? And, and, and again, when I say that we behave like hairdressers, I mean, we all do that in a, in a, in a sense because we, I, mean, I work a lot in aesthetic dentistry and there's a lot of, I mean, aesthetics is always present. But I think that if we disconnect from medicine, we are much more prone to have a less fulfilling career in the long term. That, this is the feeling that I have from the students that, that I have and, and from the people that I talk to. Um, what's your view on this? I mean, is this, too, is this too much of a catastrophic view? 
What do you think? Well, I'm laughing because there must be like 100 questions in your question. <laughs> I, course, I, will try, I will try to answer them all. I don't know if I can cope with such complexity. <laughs> it's a very complex question. But uh, I, I think, uh, uh, well, starting to, from a chronological point, let's try to do this chronologically. I think dentistry is a very young scientific field. It deals with the most prevalent diseases in the world. And the burden of disease that dentists had to cope with in the early stages of the profession drove them to be very interventive uh, and very surgical. And we did not have the time to think so much about prevention, nor and especially, did we know enough about the physiopathological processes that were involved in the same diseases that we we're treating on? What was the perio concept of disease 50 years ago, and what is the perio concept of disease these days? It has evolved so much, it is so sophisticated, it is like another process of a disease that is studied by internal medicine. Today, the relationships that all these, that these biotic diseases like periodontitis that carries the concepts that we have of diseases today and the way medicine has evolved have really turned these diseases in preventable diseases. And that is something quite new because the tools we had for prevention for the last 50 years were very, very basic tools. The fluoride, the, okay. and we we had this community approach, uh, which works for most of people and most of patients, but do not work for every patient. So we were like a kind of prisoners of our own ignorance, and the ignorance in our young dental field. And the, this was this is a young profession and a young science, which. In, which has done an amazing work because in a very shorter period of time, it came arms to arms, shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the medicine in the medical fields. So I think we are living exciting times whereas prevention is concerned because now we have patients, we have the same tools as the rest of medicine. We know molecularly the physiopathological paths of the diseases we treat. Uh, and this is a fundamental aspect in order to be able to construct a preventive approach. So I don't like to put the blame on the dentists. It's just a circumstance of the young aspect of the profession. You have good doctors, back doctors, honest people and perverted people everywhere in every profession. So, uh, I mean, you have, maybe treated more and now are more on the preventive side and that, that doesn't make you a better person that you were 10 or 20 years ago. It's just the way it is and the way the knowledge was and the profession was. Uh, what I think is important is that now the, the world community has come to the sense and that also I think is a conquest of the profession. This 
agenda that the World Health Organization has put on, considering and uh, acknowledging that the burden of oral diseases is so big that something on the preventive side much must be done and must be studied. And I think we now have the, the means to do it. And then, of course, there's the other aspect you were talking about is uh, uh, it's very demanding. <laughs> there was this reel in the in the Insta that I saw this week that was the it was the the, the, the new dentist until five years of practice giving an interview and say, I'm so excited about this. This profession is so excited. Like 10 years after. Well, I do it because I do it. I don't know. I go into the office and I do it. 20 years after is just, wow, man, I feel so tired. And uh, this happens to us. I mean, to all of us, it's a very demanding profession. But I think what we have to focus in on the patient benefit. It's not because I, I think aesthetic dentistry has its, has its place, as aesthetic medicine has, has, its, has its place. I mean, if you have a surgeon that corrects, uh, only corrects uh, and, and that and, and that is a, a disease in itself because if you don't have quality of life because you don't like your smile see the kind of changes we produce in our patients when a patient is not happy you have a, a very i'm sure as we have at our clinic a very strict photographic protocol along every step of the treatment we have photographs to do it we have studios you have and one thing that I have never seen until I came to this clinic is to review my cases from the beginning till the end and see the faces of the patients when they are in the first photo shoot and when they are at last photo shoot of a treatment that came right. It's completely different. And I think that's medicine. That's changing a person's life. Now, as in every profession you have to meet your destiny and your destiny your goal here your objective is the patient is not yourself once again one of the, the threats of the of this instant stardom you're living this instant stardom pursuit you're living which is driven much by the the, the social media is that you then transform yourself into a star, your self-centered. This gives a, the, 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 one of the problems social media is the self-centeredness it gives you. And that can drive you away very fastly from the purpose of your profession, which is not about you, but it's about the patient you are facing. And don't try to put veneers in the patient that is not seeking and doesn't want veneers at all. And uh, one of the problems that sometimes in our type of clinics we have is uh, uh, along the way, sometimes as a clinical director, I have patients who say, look, I just came here because I had a toothache. I'm in the middle of an orthodontic process. I'm going to years, <laughs> and that tooth has not been dealt with still, you know? So this is the kind of, this is the kind of uh, things that sometimes if you let yourself go, you will stop listening to the patient. 
and what are the patient needs and interests. And so that's something that you have to keep in mind all the time. The patient, the patient, the patient. That's, that's, that's how one, look, one of my first jobs was waitering at the table in a, and being receptionist in a luxury uh, hotel. And, uh, and uh, one of the trainings that we had in that luxury hotel, one of the things that they told me was, focus your attention on the client. And one thing that is very, pisses me off completely is when I go to a restaurant and waiters are not paying attention to clients. I mean, they are paying attention to, and this is this, exactly the same thing inside the clinic. So focus your attention on the patient. The patient is the center of what does this patient wants and what does this patient needs. Um, once again, I think that uh, overtreatment is a reality, unfortunately, in some places which are much more driven by external pressure factors than from patients themselves. Yeah. So, but 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 I think the profession. I, I am very. I am a very optimistic person. And I'm very confident about the, the, I don't share the catastrophic uh, point of view of, uh, of those authors. I think, uh, I think that uh, the profession has made quite an achievement in the, in the last decades in bridging the gap between uh, basic science and uh, when I started to work in basic science, people used to tell me you're wasting your time because uh, uh, what is really important is to 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 clinical to to do clinical research and to find new clinical techniques. And I said, no, no. The biological index output and the way it will influence the profession will grow exponentially in the next years. And so it did. Because you cannot uh, treat things right unless you have a very good idea how things work before they start going wrong. And uh, I think that's one of the major achievements of the profession in the last years was being able to get this basic science knowledge which is a, adapted to the profession and that pertains to the pathologies of the mouth and that you did not have like 20 30 years ago and uh, and and that's very important that was great antonio that was great we're gonna divide this maybe yeah. one two or eventually three parts I, I would need I would need to listen to you three times again just because I took a lot of notes here. So, yes, me too. so thank you so much for this. Thank you so much. No, thank you for this uh, very interesting conversations, interesting questions. Uh, it was. Uh, I hope I met your expectations once again. Yes, of course. Uh, my English is a little bit rusty because we don't speak so often as we should, but. Uh, um but uh, it was a pleasure yeah, for me I'm yeah but, but it's, 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 um, it's i am honored to be good. here yeah it's very good because uh and especially i'm never tired of saying this which is 
uh, I mean, you are not a peer researcher. You, 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 you have your track record with working with people, you know, like creating teams and stuff like that. And I, and I think that's much more valuable to have a, a, a much more human uh, opinion of, of, uh, of not only the things that you did and, and the track record that you have, but also have that, um, that, that, that opinion of someone that actually deals with humans on a daily basis and leads humans on a daily basis because we know that dentistry is actually a very complex field and leading a team is it, it, it's, it's so complex. And I, and, and I really enjoy the way that you said that, that sometimes we become, it's very easy to become cynical with patients today. It's very easy. And uh, we have to realize that we have to be, we have to make ourselves stronger and calmer to be able to deal with, uh, with, uh, with the, the idiosyncrasies of, of each patient because they are growingly more complex. Yeah. So thank you so much for, thank for you. your thank you. participation here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, so, 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 so interesting. And uh, there's a, a lot of things I agree with Andrea, a lot of more things to unpack. But uh, yes. but it was uh, it was a lot of uh, of information, a lot of different subjects that we want to cover. But uh, but thank you so much. I was very uh, I, I mean the, all the the I think that bringing all 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 always the human side and always the 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 human part in in the history and even on on scientific evidence and it was so uh, so nice to to hear so thank you so much for your time and for sharing uh all all uh, of some part of your of your knowledge and of, of your vision um with us thank you so much thank you it was a real pleasure and honor okay so manuela we will we'll see you we'll, we'll see you know we, we will record another one next week and thank um you. yeah thank you thank, thank you so much you everybody listening. For listening and, and um, Antonio, again, thank you so much, and we'll see you around. Maybe in a few in a few years, we'll probably invite you again uh, to to go deeper on some of these topics. Again, I really three enjoyed, hours of our, of I really enjoy, yeah, I really enjoyed your views on AI and big data and stuff like that. Maybe we can have some 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 nice discussions in the future of how. Our AI yeah, and, even and even to AI, AI you br- you brought the the human uh, the human side of it the soul the <laughs> so it was really yeah, interesting. It's, Thank it's, you. Uh, one uh, one of the things I realized when we talk about AI, and I have a very close friend that's that's doing a lot of consultancy in AI. You always end up with a big philosophical question in your head, which is, and and you really have to stretch your mind in order to be able to start to think and and discuss about these things. So it's uh, so thank you for that again. Thank you. Okay, see you. Okay, bye bye, everyone. See you next time.